0: 52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health, because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective and knowledge. You'll find that and more here on the HealthAbility Project. Welcome to the HealthAbility Project. I'm Robin McKenna. I'm honored to have as my guest today a man who is going to share his story of the effects of war on his health and well-being and what is helping him to heal decades after his experience. John Melillo is an oil contemporary realist painter on all surfaces. He grew up on the east end of Long Island. He is also a disabled Vietnam veteran who uses painting as a solace and healing mechanism. Much of his art is inspired by his East End heritage. His art is geared to detail and storytelling. John has been featured in many TV appearances, including CBS on Veterans Day, Newsday, and News 12, most recently, teaching art at Van Gogh Immersive to other veterans. Coming in November 2023 is part three of his series, Life Goes On, his solo art and video exhibition at Southampton Cultural Center in Southampton, Long Island, New York. Thank you so much for joining me today, John. I am so glad and so honored to have you on my show.
1: Thank you, Ron, for having me.
0: So, John, if you could take us through what your service in Vietnam was like and how long you served, what you saw, what the other men were like, and 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 just the impact it had on
1: you? Well, I think my experience, you know, one thing about Vietnam, it affected everybody differently. I mean, uh, I meet people today that were accountants, uh <laughs> that worked in the offices, and it affected them. Vietnam affected everybody, uh, no matter who who you were and what your background was. As far as my service goes, uh, I graduated from Cornell University in 1969. And within a year I was drafted. I was in the last draft of the year. And uh, I went in and I started in flight school. That didn't work out. I went to an MP school, Military Police Academy. And I went to then uh, Vietnamese language school and then over to Vietnam. And when I got over to Vietnam, the one advantage I had is I knew all the pilots because I trained with them and I knew all the I knew a lot of the MPs because they were there three months ahead of me because I went to language school. So I got to kind of find out what the best duties were, or where I needed to be. And I wound up in Longbin, Vietnam, which was the big, biggest military installation in country. And um, I just at that point, I was uh, a private. I just want to do my two years, do my service. Get out and go back to my life. You have to realize something. I'm 23 years old with a college education, and I'm looking around and seeing, you know, I'm with 19 and 18 and 17 year old kids that some of them never wore shoes before. Yeah. So, oh, wow. oh my God. So, we lost uh, in my unit, we lost one guy, and one guy was wounded, and it was from lack of supervision. And uh, you have to know, I was at the very end of the war. So there was a lot of apathy going on on both sides, certainly a lot of at home and certainly even in the military because nobody wanted to be there. You're losing a war. The United States don't, doesn't lose wars in any event because of lack of supervision. I feel we lost one guy, one guy got wounded. So I walked into the first sergeant. and I said, look, and their attitude is we did in Korea. <laughs> so mm-hmm. What do you want? What do you want from us? Because I said, you know, if you make these changes, it might have a different effect. They said, okay, you do it. So they made me a sergeant, and I said, fine, I'll do it. So I became patrol supervisor on this post. Now, this what that involved was I had 26 guys uh, working 12 hour shifts, six weeks days, and six weeks nights. And we had to handle, uh, I, I had 12 guys work gates, 12 guys work patrol, and I had two dog units. And we had to handle anything from civil to combat involving 60,000 Vietnamese and 40,000 GIs. Wow. I mean, every day was an adventure. It was just, uh, you know, at the end of the war, plus what was bad about that is it was the end of the war, the Vietnamese were slipping in tons of drugs, you know, just to demoralize uh, the troops. Uh, the Vietnamization, the war was going on. So all these guys were drawing on the post. They're getting Dear John letters. And certainly that was committing, you know, that created a lot of uh, hostility, suicides. I don't want you know, it was just, It just was an adventure. It was something, and my job was to keep the guys that I had under my control safe as Mm -hmm. best of my ability. So it kind of put me out there front and center. But it also, because I was front and center, because of the uh, job that I had, I had probably the power of, they always say my job had the power of a two-star general because nobody wanted to fool around and and get a a bad service record, particularly with military police. So it allowed me to do a lot of things uh, for my people and for even to save lives, to save lives on both sides of the fence, on Vietnamese, as well as allowed me, gave me that power. And certainly in my guys, we exercise that power to the best of our ability.
0: You must have had a tremendous sense of responsibility, not only to your own guys, but maybe to the local people.
1: Sure. Oh, no, absolutely. No, I, my crew, we were all together. We were together to save each, you know, to you, you, you fought for the guy next to you. Mm-hmm. That's how you got through that. The ideal was not there in that war. So you fought with the guy next to you, fought to get home to mom and apple pie. Mm-hmm. And uh, you also, you know, the Vietnamese are, are beautiful people. I'm telling you, I, I don't care. You know, they're all trying to do the same thing we all try to do be successful. Raise the children, have a happy life. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's where my series led me. on life goes on because I take pictures that I took uh, from Vietnam and I paint them with the stories behind them. And certainly, there was a lot of shock and awe, and that was a lot of what the war was about. But I don't paint that. I paint the life goes on series, meaning mm-hmm. you know how people when the bombs are bursting in air and when when tragedy is going on, people still have to live and I found my pictures reflected that, which amazed me because I'd never looked at them until mm-hmm. 50 years later. And it just turned out that you know, historically I'm painting them and hopefully they'll be archived someplace.
0: It's interesting that you, you know, these paintings that you took while you were there are are part of a such a painful part of American history, but you have converted some level of serenity or beauty to it because you're capturing you know, life has to go on even amidst the worst of humanity. Right?
1: Right. Yeah. But you know what, you see a lot of things, you know, realize something when you're dealing in, in extreme situations like that, particularly, you know, you walk inside a post, you're in the jungle, for kind of loud. There's some attributes that if you open up your mind, there's some real advantages if you look for them, no matter where it is, I don't care where you are. If you look around, you you'll, you'll find things that are uh, that stand out. And, and for example, we're animals, okay? In other words, when you get in situations like I was in, reaction has to become synonymous with thinking, or you're going to die. I mean, there's so many things that happen to you. There's so many situations you come. If you don't, on a split second, make the right move, you're you're not going to make it. Now. So my question to you is, what's the thought process of me raising my arm? Mm -hmm. There is none, because thinking becomes synonymous with reaction. And under that premise, you usually do always the right thing, and you you survive, and you survive very strongly. Another interesting thing is your sense of taste, your sense of smell, your sense of, there's a mongoose. I I don't even know what a mongoose is, but I see one running across. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might be imprinted in my brain that I read somewhere, but all that comes alive. Mm-hmm. You're like, your adrenaline is pumping one hundred percent. And now some people that make you animals smell it in two ways. They smell it as being nervous, which is what it can be anxiety, or they smell it as not being scared. and And that's how and you function very calmly and smoothly, almost like you're on some sort of an mm-hmm. Uh, because even in in extreme situations, you're in a peaceful you have to be in a peaceful place for yourself. In order to do the right thing, in order to survive, and in order to let this reaction, that synonymous thing, take place.
0: Mm-hmm. So you you were able to finish your two years. You got out. You came home, and you began your life. And um, I did see the piece uh, about you on CBS Two News. And I do I recall that you would mention that it was much later in your career where you. Realized you were suffering from PTSD and and then you turned to painting. What was the pivot point for you? How did that all
1: unfold? Well, what happens is this. First of all, you have to understand this. We came home to an ungrateful nation. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was uh just in in one word, it was hostile. In other words, I remember seeing an air in Oakland Air Force base being drummed out, it takes about three days to drum you out, debrief you, whatever you want to call it. And you had know, 300 guys in an airplane hangar, 300 cots. Orly's come running through, hysterical, because the Weatherman, which was American terrorist group, just blew up the barracks next door. Mm. <laughs> you just came up. Well, what's all this about? You know, the Army gives you two silver dollars and tell you have a have a you know have a, go on with your life. You know, because you lost the war, they don't want to party. It was very difficult. You went to the VA. It was nobody wanted any party. A matter of fact, coming out of the service. They said, don't wear anything distinguishing that you were in the service because it might not be safe. That's how, that's how stupid this whole thing was.
0: That has but, to be so painful, too, though.
1: You know what? It's not as painful as what I just lived through. <laughs> it was nothing compared to what I lived through. So, you know, it was just it, it, what what you want to do is get on with your life. And that's what I, I, I drilled down to. So to answer your question, your original question, I came home. I immediately said, I want to get on with my life which led me to New York City uh, down in the financial district. And I ran a New York City race for 45 years. And I never looked back, never looked at at the VA, never looked at the Vietnam. I just ran this race for 45 years. Matter of fact, I remember going to events with my son and they're saying, is anybody a veteran i would like to stand up or come forward? And I'd be sitting there and my, my son would be poking me saying, dad, you're a veteran. <laughs> I forgot. That's how removed I was from it. Wow. After 45 years, and I retired, I didn't realize that all those things that I had seen and all those things that I had witnessed, all that running and all that effort that I put into work, was to mask some of the things that I had experienced in Vietnam. And all of a sudden, it hit me. It hit me 45 years later, out of nowhere. I'm having not only nightmares; I was having daymares. Hmm. And uh, I really didn't know what to do. So I went to the VA. Now, the VA. Let me let me preface this: the hostility and 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 how weak they were at first. It's a different story today. Actually, they're very receptive, particularly to the Vietnam guys. There's many programs of many positive things. The VA is actually excellent and they're wonderful. They have so many programs involved in so many different areas. So what they did is they they did an evaluation. They went through my record, did an evaluation. They said, John, (laughs) for what you saw, you've got an extreme case of PSCD, whether you know it or not. I said, Really? That's what's going on. So I was in New York City and I started doing all these uh, different types of uh, psychological programs uh prolonged exposure one-on-one type of situation group therapies all kinds of things I did that for about a year and a half and at the same time they gave me a vocational abilities test that was part of their process mm-hmm. and and the results came when the results came back they called me and they said John look here are the results if you if you take a hammer and you try to nail a, a nail into a piece of wood don't do it. You're going to lose your fingers. However, if you want to be in salvage which is what I did for a living, or if you want to be in the arts, artist, actor, director, you're at the top of the food chain. You're in the one percentile. I said, really, I I never drew a straight line before that. So I said, all right, I'll I'll bite. With their help, I enrolled in the New York Academy of Art. I rolled any any place I could. The the School of Visual Arts. They put me through. I got business. Uh, certificates out of Christie's to Sotheby's, the courses at the Met, uh, New York League of Long Island, of, of, of not only Long Island, but New York, uh, Salamundi's. any he that a good fine art. I figured I'd jump in. Um, I was goal-orientated. I figured I'd jump jump in the deep water. And I took all these things. And something happened to me that I didn't realize was there. In, in so doing, I became good at it. I just, you know, which just amazed me. And And, and creating, being able to create and being able to put something down and concentrate and absorb what I was doing and, uh, was like a third act for me became a third act. It was a gift from God. There's just no question about it. If anybody, uh, he saw I needed help and, and there it was, Hmm. you have to understand something about PSTD. By the way, I have Agent Orange and a few other nasty things going on too, but, but you have to understand something about PSTD. It's, um. It's something you don't, you can't heal. You just have to learn how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Now, what's good about my career in painting and all that and getting the attention and being able to do solo shows and different things like that, I come now in contact with a lot of different veterans who are in the same position I was. Some of these guys have been dragged in by the wives because they saw me on TV or in a magazine or something, and they don't want any part of it. And I understand that. They don't want any part of it because they remember what I remember and that will never go away. And I feel bad for them because I know the pain they're living with. But in some cases, it opens up. I've had guys that the wife said, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't faced this in 45 years. And because he met you and because he sees that you're facing it, he's now taking a different approach. And that's rewarding. But what's really interesting, Robin, which amazes me is I come in contact with all kinds of people, not only veterans. And one thing that that, that manifested itself to me that I wasn't aware of before is PSD is a global situation. Mm. We all have our Vietnams, you understand, be it a death in a family, a bad relationship, an accident, an illness, how we survive them tend to define us. So they say one third of the whole population of the world has had some sort of an instance where there was a, a gravitating experience that they still, that they have to deal with even to this day. Mm. So now it becomes global. And so PSD is not just Vietnam, not just war, not just veterans. It's every, It's it's one third of the population at least. So, you know, my message now as I run into all these people is the same thing. Look, the way you have to deal with it is do something good for yourself. Find something you like to do. If you like to to sing, join a choir, if you like to read, join a book club, you like to paint take painting class, you like to dance, join a troupe or take dance lessons. do something that gives you some self-worth, gives you accomplishment. And in so doing, you know, like like for me, it's a sense of uh, it's a sense of me dealing with my infirmity and it's certainly a sense of dealing with them. So my message now is global and it's it's uh, more than just, uh, to veterans and it's very rewarding additionally rewarding for me to pass that on and see the results
0: that is fascinating as far as the wives that bring their husbands kicking and screaming to to your to your art they shows do. and things? I mean that's great. Do you see is it is it mostly Vietnam veterans or do you also see some of the younger guys who came back from Iraq and Afghanistan?
1: Well, I see some of them, you know, in the classes. I see some of them. Uh, I had three of them in the Van Gogh, and I like to mix it up because, you know, when I, when I was in the service, it was it was really men. It was in ninety nine percent were were males, and I said, I want to see, uh, you know, when I do these events, I say I want to see women. I want to see men. I want to see Air Force, Navy, Marines, Army, Coast Guard, even give me the Peace Corps. Give me those people who who really went went to arms with. I'm sorry. Your question was again.
0: Oh, I was just curious to know if if you see um, I, uh, veterans, oh, the right. you younger veterans from my, the more recent conflicts.
1: We do, but you know what? I don't seem to see the. the I don't know if if that has caught up to them yet. Remember something? Mm-hmm. A lot of our problems were not only it was it was a hostile war. It was a hostile America. Nobody wanted any part of it. Mm-hmm. People were leaving out of Canada, people are spitting on you, calling you baby, killer. <laughs> mm. your, your life is uprooted. You know, I mean, so it was a different environment, I think, than, than than other people. Now, I feel bad for the guys from Korea because you never hear about those guys. But, yeah. you know, most are gone. World War II guys are gone. The Vietnam guys are the guys that probably faced the most hostility, not only in the war, but also coming home. So I do see guys from Iraq. I do see guys from Afghanistan. But I I haven't seen, it It probably has manifested itself with them, but I haven't seen it as much as Vietnam, but I identify with Vietnam because I was there and I I can, I recognize it just like an Orvark knows what another Orvark look like.
0: I also too wonder, you know, I, I think it's, it's a fairly common story that with the PTSD and those in Vietnam, that it, that it takes, has taken veterans a long time to come to terms with that PTSD and that maybe Maybe enough time has not passed for those that have been in the conflict at Afghanistan or Iraq. I, I don't
1: Well, Maybe they haven't retired. Look, yeah. I, for 40 years, I didn't even, as I say, my son spoke at me saying, Dad, you're a veteran. You know, I mean, that's how far removed we are from that. I remember something, too. A lot of us were drafted. I mean, right. it wasn't your choice. It wasn't our choice. We went, you know, we it, it, we went because we went. But you, you have to know that how hostile things were. I mean, I'll give you an example. I'm in basic training. And I get a letter from my landlord going, you broke your lease to hold your deposit. Okay. So I got the provost marshal, which is part of the army, which is the legal in the army. I go in there. I said, look, is there anything you can do? Can you write a letter? This and that, and they go, well, you did break your lease. That's the apathy. You have to understand the culture that we, we so everything was just to turn yourself. Even when I was losing these guys, the, the first sergeant says, look, we did in Korea. Said, you want to do it? You do it. I said, of course I'll do it. And, and yeah. I actually we went out. I, I tell you what, I saw guys do phenomenal things for people. You know, I saw people risk their lives to save children. I saw, but you, but you see so many, you know, extreme situations, you see some things you'll never forget. And and not just bad things. I mean, one of my paintings, for example, we call it The Caretaker. And we used to go out in the jungle. I have this one patrol used to go way out in the jungle and we pass this woman in a grass hut. And uh, she'd always have kids running around there, and she'd have sugar cane that she cut, probably make a living in. You didn't go in there because it could be a, a VC stash of arms, could be booby-trapped. You didn't bother with it. You know, you, mm-hmm. Unless it was right in front of you, you say <laughs> you know, it at arm's wave. But one day, after do, passing this woman about 15 times, I said, you know, I'm going in. I want to see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And she's holding a baby, and there's probably about 10 kids scattered didn't want to have their picture taken, but I took a picture and I got about eight of them with smile, the kids are smiling, they're well-dressed. She, hmm, that was a Vietnamese orphanage. This woman, talk about a moralizing woman, this woman took on kids on both sides of the war, t- took an wow. orphans from both sides of the war and she made life meaningful, meaningful for them. She made life life uh, suitable for them. They were happy, they were well-dressed, they were well-fed. So, you know, you want to moralize things like that. And even in in an extreme situation, You know, some people do the wrong thing, but some people do the right thing. And that's where heroism comes in. That's bravery. And that's that woman to me was one of the bravest people I've ever seen. I mean, it's just it it just turns. You know, when I think of that, when somebody says, what is what, what do you define as good? Because you learn in Vietnam, I learn words as pictures. If you said hate, I can remember a situation that is hate. You say Heroism. I remember a situation that was heroism. I, I put a picture on it. I put a face on it. Hmm. And this would be, you, you know, you see things like that, and that's how it imprints on you. And so it's not necessarily, you know, if you, if you, I don't care about what, what situation you're involved in. I don't care if it's whatever it is. It's really what you make out of it mm-hmm. to survive, and and what you do for other people in in, in surviving. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, as I say, some people do the wrong things. A lot of people do the right things, and and it, it's it's very uplifting to see that type of heroics
0: and how long have you been painting?
1: Well I've been painting since I retired probably about six and a half seven years now
0: Wow wow any any plans past your um, series three in November?
1: Well we're doing it now I mean I'm, I'm I seem to be like the flavor of the month you know I mean I'm gonna be in the Fine Art Fair the Hampton Fine Art Fair in July which is a pretty very prestigious show. Uh, I'm presently showing now in Southampton Cultural Center Articom. I'm showing that's going on now through August. I'm going to be showing in the Hampton Library. I have the whole library, the Hampton Bay's Library, for the month of November. I'm going to be showing in the Arts Council, East Islip Arts Council, Huntington Art Council. Also, I'm showing right now, and I'm doing solo shows. And I'll have also a video with my my daughter's a was a TV producer, so she produced videos to go along. With these shows or 20-minute videos, mm-hmm. and we'll be airing them actually in the ice in November in the ISLIP Art Center. Okay. We'll be showing some paintings, but we'll also be airing these 20-minute videos, which which I take, which take the pictures that I actually painted and the stories mm-hmm. behind them. And some of them are very unusual. I mean, I picked out this the caretaker, for example, I painted her. Mm-hmm. And we tell that story. We take a, I mean, there's there's things that you just if you didn't live in Vietnam, you wouldn't uh, right. you would have experienced that. I mean, I had one where yeah, we're prepping November, life goes on three Veterans Day will be the Southampton cultural Saint, uh, cultural center twenty five jobs Lane in Southampton and these pictures will be on 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 view as well as the videos. and you know one of the videos I show for example, I mean, I control that whole post. I mean, I had a job that it was it was it, and they let me they knew I knew what I was doing and said, let them go. I mean I I handle all the USO shows. I handle Bob Hope, for example. I oh, handle no. them all. Ready for him coming in, going out. I handle Sammy Davis Jr. I get all. You know, yes. I, a, you know, I the was in charge of the of job,
0: the feel-good no. part of a
1: of a bad situation. So you know, it's what you make out of it. You know what we had? There was a like you talk about saving lives. There was a rule saying if there was an action where uh, Americans involved the Vietnamese, you cannot. And there was an injury to the Vietnamese. You have to send them to a Vietnamese hospital. That's almost like a death sentence, you know? Mm. Uh, I would say that anytime I'd see any situation like that, no matter what it was, I bring them, I personally bring them up to our triage and say, yeah, gee, GI was involved here. Let, you know, so you had many ways of saving the line. You found ways to do that and you found ways to protect other people. But uh, I mean, but you see some interesting stories. Like one of the stories I have is on these paintings, I, I had this Rocky, it's a nine foot Python and, we got called out one night. Uh, I had to go off post for some reason. And you go off post, you're open season. Anybody could shoot mm. you. So you run with infrared lights close to the ground. And we're running with these infrared lights. You can barely see. And it hit, all of a sudden hit a big bump. Mm. You normally keep going because you can't stop. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen. But I said, look, we might've hit somebody. It might've been even a, a VC, whatever it was. I go back and it was a nine foot rock python stretch across the road to get the heat. They get they get the heat. So the thing was a light. So you couldn't stay there long. If I left it on the side of the road, the jungle would claim it within a half an hour, you know, somebody okay. would come. Hit. So I said, well, let me throw in the back of my Jeep. And the worst thing I could do was come up with a, a, a nice belt and a good pair of boots. So I take <laughs> it back, take it back to my to my uh bunk or wherever I you know, the, the tent wherever I was living, and I put it under my bed. I said, let's see what happens. And the next morning, there it's curled up. I call it Rocky. Is curled up bright-eyed bushy tail. An amazing thing, it's just stationary under my bed. And for once, no vermin chewed on my boots. <laughs> you know? huh. I took care of that problem. Wow. You know? And I had a I had a little lizard called, I called it Billy, lived in my pillow, and I used to I wake up and he took care of the insects around my head. And he used to bob, I'd see and using his head. So that symbiotic relationship, you become to conquer the jungle, you don't fight the jungle. You become part of the jungle. the jungle. You become symbiotic with that, and that's how you survive. So we were one big happy family for about three weeks, and all of a sudden, I get a call saying, "John, you get back to the barracks right away. Everybody got to see it." I get back, and Rocky turned out to be a rocket. Uh oh! And all these little pythons are curl up on everybody's bedpost. You know, so I thought of what I could turn them loose. Okay, I turned them loose, and I gave one to the motor pool, I gave one to the engineering company, you know, and then about about four days later raquette took off. She always could. There was yeah. nothing keeping her, you know. Uh-huh. But think about it—a safe place to lay her eggs. I didn't know she yeah. had eggs. It's, she had plenty of food source. So we all lived. Once she took care of my problem. So right. you know that's how you survive. And you know animals and nature respect that. And 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 you become part of that culture. And that's an amazing thing. That's the amazing part of of that situation. Yeah. You could walk in the jungle with somebody. You could touch them, touch the back, and, they, and you just had a conversation. So you know, I would say in my situation though, as 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 I retired and came full circle, I think uh, finding art really saved me because you know certainly uh, I had experience. You know, I'll give you good sides of it. I could I could sit in here and tell you some horrors, you, you know, too, you know. But that, I try to use the positive side. That's what life goes on is all about. So, right. anyways, interested in seeing some really interesting stories. And by the way, that's only one. I mean, I probably have about there's about I think we're up to nine. Or 10 paintings down. Everyone has a story like the caretaker okay. Lee, or like Bob Hope or something like that. The so just two things. I really art saved me. And what I do is my heritage is really from the East End of Long Island. Mm-hmm. It's kind of where I grew up and my family's all from here from 1890s, Southampton, you know, all those places, Sacaponic. So I paint the East End and I kind of live out here too. So I, I do live out here. So I, I paint the East End and I paint Vietnam and I paint the East End. I paint all the places that I knew as a kid. I mean, uh, you, you know, we did family cookouts at Flying Point Beach, which is you know a big beach now. But in those days, there was nothing around, so shipwrecks would come in because of the tide and, mm-hmm. and be there. And my cousins and I would play in them. So I remember those things, and I paint things that I remember. I go to places that I I went to as a child, and by the way, mm-hmm. there are places still in the Hamptons that amaze me. I go back to 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 uh, reminisce and to find mm-hmm. material to paint, and they haven't changed at all. I mean it's amazing. You can still park at the dunes. You don't need a parking permit. There's no lifeguard duty. But you know, there's places still that I remember my father showed me that that as much as things have changed, they haven't changed at all. So it's just pretty it's special. And it's a treasure trough. You know, when you talk about Long Island and artists, remember something. There's no place in this world, I don't know of any place in this world, in 15 miles, you can hit Long Island Sound and the Rocky Coast and the Deep Waters and the High Bluffs, the Pe- Bay the Great South Bay, the flats of the Great South Bay, and then the Atlantic Ocean, and all of them, you know, and all the topographies, different topographies and the different, and, and it's, it's just a treasure trove yeah. of, of inspiration. Is,
0: yeah, it is a beautiful, beautiful part of Long Island. And, and I'm sure that, but, it's very therapeutic and and serene. And what an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your perspective and what your takeaway was from the whole experience of Vietnam and and how you're moving forward. It's just an absolutely phenomenal story. Thank you so much, John.
1: Well, thank you, Robin, for having me.
0: Okay, listeners, hopefully you liked today's episode. If so, please like us, share us, tell your friends about us, post on social media. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach me at... The Healthability Project at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today at the Health Ability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests, to the Healthability Project at gmail.com. And please like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends.